have some celery? Mmm. <laughs> so many aspects of the Smile album and the elements and, and all the things that made up the record that he just, uh, he had to, to just let it go because it came at a time when Brian was just really finding it difficult to stay focused. He wasn't getting any enjoyment out of it, it wasn't fulfilling him, it was painful, so uh, we made Smiley Smile instead. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee, where winter has arrived. Cannot believe it's almost Christmas. Can't believe we're almost to the end of the Smile Sessions. This year has been really strange, to say the least. I'm happy to move forward, that's all I know. Before we get back to Smile, I want to take a moment to hear from you guys. And here is an email from Chris. Hey Wyatt, I discovered your podcast about a month ago and I've already burned my way through each episode. I love what you guys are doing, focusing intently on the music. I came to the Beach Boys in a unique way and late. Because of the band's ubiquity, I had never really paid attention to more than the radio hits. I was aware that some argued that Brian Wilson was an unappreciated genius who had had something of a nervous breakdown at the peak of the band's success and that it was related in some way to an album he never released. Then in 2005, at age 32, I came across a CD of the then-newly-released Brian Wilson Presents Smile in a used record store in Albuquerque. Needless to say, I was hooked immediately. I quickly devoured all things Beach Boys. For the first time, I heard the early recordings. A harp on Catch a Wave? She makes the Indy 500 look like a chariot race? What a lyric! I also became fascinated with the post-Smile recordings, wondering, how is this the same band? And although it took a while, I ultimately conceded that Pet Sounds topped anything even the Beatles did. But something more important in my Beach Boys journey occurred, and it's why Smile remains my favorite piece of music. My now 16-year-old son, Miles, was one when I discovered Smile. He was a difficult baby who had severe colic that graduated into extreme meltdowns as a toddler. He has since been diagnosed with autism and has off-the-charts anxiety. And here's where Smile comes in. One day while listening to the album, while driving, I noticed that Miles seemed to be locked in with the music. He usually hated car rides, but I noticed when I paused the record, he became agitated. When I played the disc, he calmed down again. Later at home, I played the album again and it had the same effect. It was pretty rare for him to ever be still. He was always in constant motion, pacing the house, rubbing his hands, babbling incessantly. But he was almost perfectly at ease listening to Smile and had a look of calm that I almost never saw. In particular, when the harmonies that appear near the end of Surf's Up played, he had a look of wonder. I will never forget. Soon I learned that I could play Smile at any time of the day, and it had a soothing effect on him. It was the soundtrack of our house for several years. The greatest moment occurred when I played the live concert that accompanies the David Leith documentary. I had no intention of doing this, but when our prayer began, Miles wandered into the room, sat in front of the television, and watched the entire video, never really reacting, except to laugh with delight when the band members pulled out their vegetables. When it was over, he wandered back out of the room, never saying anything. It remains a highlight for me of his life. I'd like to say Smile still has that effect on Miles. It doesn't. 
He now listens to video game music through his headphones, if he listens to music at all. But I'm convinced that the music Brian created spoke to my boy's mental fragility in a manner that I never could, making those early years much easier than they would have been. I'd thank him if I got to meet him in person. That's it for now. I hope this wasn't too long. Later, I'll share my top Beach Boys albums, songs, and favorite solo pieces. I don't think I've heard anyone mention That's Why God Made the Radio, but I will go to bat for the four-song suite that ends that any day of the week. If the Beach Boys go out on that note, I say they made up for their sins of the 80s and 90s. Keep doing what you do. I look forward to the late 60s and early 70s episodes. Love and mercy, Chris. Awesome to hear from you, Chris. That is a fantastic story. My heart is full. Thanks for writing in and sharing that with us and being part of the show. Also, thanks to our new patrons, Andrew Tompkins, David Salter, Dan, Cameron Catalano, Charlie, Joseph Swafford, and Seth. You guys keep the show advertisement free, and you also get bonus content while doing so. If you're interested in being part of the Sail On crew, head over to patreon.com slash sailon to find out more. Thanks again. We love you! Good, look at these uh, vegetables you've got for me. For me, for me, for me. Is it alright if I take a couple of these vegetables? All right, we've made it to the spring of 1967, and we can see the smiley smile light at the end of the tunnel, but we need to backtrack to pick up some loose ends before we get too far ahead. So let's go back to January 9th at Western Studios. With the album deadline just six days away, Brian naturally decides to re-record Wonderful, one of the few tracks that could actually be considered finished at this point. The key has been lowered to B-flat, but with Brian's harpsichord in a higher, almost music box register. Then he did something different. band overdub was added, led by Hal on drums and featuring Lyle on string bass, as well as Carol on fuzz bass and Ray on mandolin. Carl throws down a very rough lead vocal here. Of course, Brian is heard doing his infamous Rock With Me Henry bass vocal. I'm going to have to have some help on this because I'm starting to go a bit mad myself trying to figure out what this is. My very own Beach Boys Wizards, Will Crera and John Brody. Welcome back, guys. How you doing? No. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> what are we to make of this bizarre new wonderful? Over to you. Um... Yeah, I, I really don't know why he recorded this, but um, I think you can tell that he was getting a little self-conscious about the song, 
He's lowered the key here, so you know it's it's easier for Carl to sing, I guess, because he doesn't want to sing the lead. Um, I'm not sure why. And also, just the arrangement here is so bizarre. You just have like so many things are clashing with each other that just like don't really work. Because he's taking this um, very simple baroque pop kind of thing, and now we have jazz drums, and we also have like a big loud fuzz bass and a mandolin. It just makes no sense. <laughs> I like the mandolin, but yeah. <laughs> the story that's been told by Brian's, one of Brian's friends, I um, can't remember which one, was that basically he got self-conscious about the song for whatever reason and turned it into a joke. And they were talking about the smiley version, but I think it probably applies to this one a lot more than the smiley one, which is really good. And this is not really good. Um, <laughs> Brian, you know, Brian's done Don't Talk, but you had on my shoulder before and... So many other songs, you know, Caroline No and everything on today. It doesn't make sense that he get so self-conscious about Wonderful and do this. But that just kind of, I think it shows you where his head was at at the time where he was in a very high pressure, very high pressure situation, overthinking things more than he would have in the past. So he basically just took Wonderful and turned it into like a joke. Uh, well, he didn't exactly have as much support as he did back then anyway. Because, no. you know, he's working with outside people and making weird music with weird lyrics. So you can tell he's getting a little insecure about everything. But yeah, this is just weird. And it's it's also one of the songs that was pretty much finished. Yeah, it's one of, you know, Wind Chimes, Prayer and Good Vibrations and Wonderful. And everything else was, you know, nearly done. And then it, this is one of the only ones that could have been considered done by this point, and then he just decides to scrap it and do this thing. Yeah, so it's weird <laughs> that this is the song that gets turned into some weird jazzy joke, you know? This is one of the few bits of Smile era of music and, like, any of... You know, Tita Totta Love works for me, which we'll get onto in a minute. Uh, this and, like, the Animals version of, you know, section of Heroes and Villains where they're all grunting is, like, one of... This and that are like the two things where I just have absolutely no idea what Brian was going for. Um, I did go and try and find the inspiration for this, and there is a pretty obvious answer. It's um, The Wallflower by Etta James from 1955. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess Brian was just a fan of this song, but I have no idea what this has to do with Wonderful and uh, why he even felt the need to re-record it at this point. Yeah, I think he wanted to put it on the the B side of Heroes and Villains, probably. Um, but yeah, for some for whatever reason, he wasn't happy with the original. Yeah, and at this time, he was pretty much working on nothing but Heroes. And when he did work on occasional other songs, it was usually talked about as a B side. So it, that could have been the case. So later that day, Brian and Carl were experimenting with um, a couple different versions of an acapella tag. And there's also a mystery third guy here, but um, you guys might have an idea who that is. Yeah, I think it's Arnie Geller, the guy um, who goes good in with me tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, he just sounds like his voice, and it was he was the sort of assistant friend of Brian's. Um, he mm -hmm. hung around the studio yep. a lot with him, and it, I think it's his voice. But he's not really... I don't think he's on the actual recording. They just practiced it. He might be on the part where they all go, Wii you together? Um, maybe, I'm not uh, really yeah. sure. Um, yeah, but there's there's no documentation of this, so that's really all we're going off of. Um, could be anywhere else, really. 
Show me where to do Bring the chair, chair. It goes, Derek, bring it. No problem. This this doesn't have to be perfect. It's got to be just kind of honest in line. Okay. One, two, one, two, three. Just Brian and Cobb stack in a few vocals, they kind of rehearse it and then go through. Brian lays down a bass vocal and then they add a few parts on top of that. I never got around to doing the Rock With Me Henry lead vocal thing, which I think Brian was planning when they rehearsed it, but they don't record it on the actual takes. A lot like Do You Like Worms, where they're doing this sort of very high nasally humming. It's like a kazoo. It reminds me of Cool Water as well. Um, and then, I mean, I, it's it's got a lot of the... It's got a lot of that, that vibe of... of Child is Father of the Man, too. Um, oh, and then the, that, especially the, water, the yeah, part the, that we'll talk about later on. The Cocoa um, Water Watershine thing where Mike's bass vocal is kind right, of a right. bit like this. It's time. Is it time? <laughs> it's time. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, so maybe some of you have been waiting for this. Maybe some of you are, are going to be confused, but um, there's another strange session that we do need to mention from January, uh, and that is Jasper Daly's unforgettable classic, Teeter Totter Love. Teeter Totter Love goes up. Teeter Totter Love goes down. Here's Hal from Endless Summer Quarterly. I was there and I'll never forget. Teeter-totter love goes up, teeter-totter love goes down. When my love goes up, I go down. And when she goes down, I go up. It was a joke, a big hysterical joke. But the thing was, I had met this little gray-haired man that wore a little toupee. He was the nicest guy in the world. So I asked Brian, could I have this guy come by and take some pictures? He's just a nice little man. Brian said, sure. So I was the guy who got Jasper into the Beach Boys session. This one features um, the Honeys on backing vocals, um, back together again. Actually, Brian met Jasper back in 63, and he suggested the title for the Honeys B-side, Hide Go Seek. So, nice little tie-in there. Three songs are known to have been recorded, but this track, recorded January 25th, with the vocals added February 9th, is the only Jasper tune that survived, sadly. Yeah, all the tapes are gone. This was Jasper's acetate, though. I think his, I think Jasper, I think his wife had this after Jasper died. Then she came down, and I went flying off. Yeah, I remember hearing this for the first time and being so confused as to what, why this had anything to do with Smile. 
but I think this is yeah, this is ten days after the the album deadline passed. He's recording two to That's the best part where it's just basically like a huge f u to to capital that's not even procrastination by this point i mean he's just i mean it's 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 very deliberate i think but um <laughs> hey you know it's here it is we have it you know it's it's um it's a it's a thing it is a thing that we have so that's all i can really say about this brian was into comedy records at the time and i think the thing that attracted brian to jasper was just that he has maybe the worst voice that i've ever heard <laughs> um there's no way to put it nicely <laughs> so there were two other songs recorded crack the whip and when i get mad i just play my drums which is the best title of a song that i've ever heard <laughs> yeah um there was an interview with uh jasper where he says they're all finished all proper studio recordings with all the studio guys on them crack the whip was another of my kitty titles you know when you're roller skating and you form this chain going around in a big circle until one at the end can't hold on anymore. That's cracking the whip. But Brian got a hold of the wrong idea. So he got this damn great leather whip in the studio and cracked it all over the place, recorded it, and we made a song of it. Papa cracked the whip. Mama cracked the whip. Junior cracked the whip was how it went. I can't read this without <laughs> just dying. Like, this is absolutely amazing. <laughs> And every time I got to whip, Brian cracked the damn thing. The other stuff was even crazier. One time, Brian told me to go stand in front of the microphone and just say anything that came into my head. So I stood there for a good half hour reeling off what I'd done that morning and the day before and what I thought of the day's news and so on. Never heard the tape again. Ah, man. This is tragic that we don't have this to listen to. It's like crying that we don't have to crack the whip. Again, if, but, if anyone out there has these, please, please write I don't in. care about the Dory Parks acetates or whatever. I just want to crack the whip. I want, yeah, I mean, gosh, somebody must have heard this. Is Jasper <laughs> still alive? What's going on with Jasper? No, no. Jasper's, Jasper's gone now. But, oh, um, we got to yeah. get crack the whip going. We need George Faulkner, get on it. Find the sheet music. <laughs> you know what's just amazing? That the, there is... There are no known existing photos of the sandbox in Brian's house, but we do have a photo of Brian of Jasper Daly doing his vocals for Tina Turner Love in Western Studio Three. Incredible, <laughs> that's, amazing. That's so beach. Yeah. That's so beach boys. But you know what? I I love the the arrangement of this thing. Like if Jasper wasn't singing on top of it, it would be quite a really cool instrumental. It's cool. It's really cool. It, and it it does things that he doesn't really do on other tracks. Like you have the two marimbas, of course, but then you also have a tuba. Um, yeah and an accordion and brian on the overdub um while jasper daly slide whistle yeah he's he's doing the slide whistle which is you know like teeter totter love goes up goes down yeah it might be a it might be a joke but it's still smileier you know and it's still got that sort of musical invention so he's got two marimbas two basses drums tambourine accordion and two piccolos and then a tuba like sort of doubling the bass line um so it's really you know, even when, he's, even when he's doing a joke song, it's still good. It's, it's better cool. than wonderful Rock With Me Henry, you know. <laughs> anyway, here's a quote from Mike Love. Jasper Daly, he was a photographer. He came up with this idea for a song that I thought was clever. Teeter-totter love. When I am up, my baby goes flying down. Simple, but poignant. I mean, how many times have you been on a teeter-totter love affair? I mean... Yeah, not a fan of cabinescence, but... No, but... <laughs> Teeter daughter love is right up his alley. 
poignant. I just thought that was the most insane thing. Like I was going through, I got the the seventy, um, the Byron Price like seventies biography, and when I got to that page and there was like a quote from Mike talking about Tito Shot of Love, where he calls it poignant, I was like, oh my god, this is going in the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, while Brian was was busy making magic with Jasper, uh, both of his brothers were trying their own hand at production. On January twelfth, Dennis Wilson assisted by Chuck Britz, laid down a basic track that someone referred to as Part 2, and we know it as I Don't Know. Dennis, don't hit it quite as hard. Bruce Johnson's on piano, Carol Kay on acoustic guitar, Carl on 12-string, Bill Pittman on the fuzz tone, Lyle Ritz on upright, and Dennis at the kit. This is a really awesome piece that I'm glad we have because it was one of the things that really surprised me when the smile box came out that um, was attached to Dennis, and I was really confused by that and had a lot of questions, as I'm sure most people did. Henry J. Hey, I want one of your cars, Henry. It's a two-chord pattern with like a walking bass line that I think fits nicely um, with a lot of these other two-chord riffs that show up on Smile. And it reminds me a lot of the chorus of Here Today from Pet Sounds. Mm. It has that same Never thought of that. Yeah. kind of feel. Um, the bass line going down and the, the one and four chords. Um, but it's obviously its own thing. And uh, I, I don't really know much more about it. There's also an overdub by Carol Kay on banjo, and Dennis plays tambourine, and then our buddy Tommy Morgan's back on the bass harmonica. You know, Dennis and Carl both did production things around this era, and this is when Brother Records was getting started, and Brian had all these ideas about outside projects. So I think this is them, you know, they've grown up their whole lives watching their brother do the same thing, um, just kind of trying their hand. And you can tell, you know, that Brian's style of of writing and producing kind of rubbed off on them because this is very much like a, a smile pastiche. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if if this just showed up showed up on a bootleg, you know, you just think this was Brian a smile section. It's you didn't you know it fits in perfectly with everything else, right? Yeah, exactly. That's why it was surprising that it was credited to Dennis. Um, I thought that might have been a mistake, or that you know, because it just it did sound like something that Brian would have done. Uh, yeah, as, as far as we know, this wasn't for Smile or for any Beach Boys album. Really, this was just Dennis doing his own thing. Dennis had been like learning to play the piano for quite a while. Uh, 1965, he was in Japan. Bruce was helping him and stuff, and he played organ on 
good vibrations and there's interviews and things where he you know, says that he's writing and plays things for the people but he hadn't recorded anything yet so this is i think this is kind of just inflexing like just trying to see if he can do it and this but it's yeah it's he does it in a sort of modular smile style because this is on the tape bruce talks about running down the different sections and this is obviously only one sort of little part of something and this is apparently part two of a thing but there's no part one known to exist so i don't know if they recorded it and it was lost or if they just didn't get around to recording it but it's Dennis basically just doing a doing a Brian, and it's um, interesting that Brian wasn't there for this. I don't know if Brian just didn't want to get in the way, or if Dennis was doing this consciously just on his own. He didn't want any interference from Brian. He wanted to try doing something himself. But um, yeah, so it's just Bruce. There's photos of Dennis and Bruce in the studio together doing this. It was just Dennis, Bruce, and Carl, and then a lot of the same musicians that Brian used at the time. Yeah, and um, there's other examples of Dennis producing his own stuff uh, later in the year and in early '68 for for other artists. Um, nothing that got completed or released at the time, but this is kind of the first example of of Dennis writing and recording something. So it's cool that we have it. And then we have something called Tones or Tune X, which is credited to Carl. Um, there were a bunch of sessions spanning April and March, but only one piece really one, um, two, survived. One, two, On March 3rd, um, there was a session with string players, double-tracked, and then overdubs of drums and tambourine, other percussion, slide, slide guitar, bass, electric piano, probably played by Carl and Billy Hinchy. We know he was there. This is a really beautiful track. I really I love this. It's very Beatle-esque. You know, I, know Be- I know Carl was a big Beatles fan. Yeah, the strings have definitely got that feel into them. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like it sounds like something you would hear, you know, on on Sergeant Pepper's, which is crazy because it hadn't come out yet. But it's very much that vibe, and and it's to me like it fits in really well with um, I don't know, you know, because it's like the same key. Yeah, same key, same sort of rhythm, sort of same, not the same vibe. Music, yeah, just crazy. Yeah. So I, I wondered if there was any connection there. There might be. Um, I mean, maybe this, who knows, maybe this was written by Dennis and Carl recorded it or something. I I have no idea, but um, Carl definitely produced it. It's awesome. And again, like Carl really didn't come into his own um, as a producer for a while. So this is also really cool, a really cool piece of Beach Boys history that we have. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the, you know, Tones or Tune X title. Uh, yeah. Tones is the more consistent title that shows up. Tune X is something else that's just on one of like five AFM contracts. Yeah. Um, it's more definitive what this one was for because in the FM contract 
it says on the on the I don't know one it says the artist was Capitol Records and there's no other information beyond that but for this one it says that the employer is um no sorry the the employer was Capitol Records but on this one it says the employer was Brother Records and then Brian Brian himself has signed a signature to authorize it and it says the artist is Carl Wilson um so that was going to be kind of some sort of solo venture thing I think and they talked about in 1966 that um Brian at some point wanted to release God Only Knows as a Carl Wilson single. Um, like he'd done for Caroline Know as a Brian Wilson solo single, and he had this idea to sort of highlight each member of the group with their own thing. And obviously, you know, Getting Hungry sort of continued that, kind of. So there's kind of a precedent set for some sort of solo Beach Boy ventures on the side for Brother Records. Mm-hmm. And that's what this thing is. Um, and yeah, it's cool. It's interesting that <laughs> it's, Carl has never really talked about it, though. Because he no, said that years later that Long Promise Road was the first song he really wrote, and that was four years after this. Yeah, and then he says the first thing he produced was Do It Again, which was kind of a co-production, and he'd done other things before, like I Was Made to Love It. But um, yeah, it's 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 kind of, it's just a really, it's so mysterious as well that there's so many sessions beyond that first one that we just apparently don't have a tape for. Um, yeah. And the way it was done, it's kind of, the music itself isn't very complicated, but the fact that Carl like had a string section doing this is uh, pretty interesting and there's also like you mentioned there's an electric piano and there's a bass on there as well or maybe more than one bass I can't really tell that's only really audible on bootlegs you can't hear it in the official mix so they did quite a bit of work on this thing and then there are a load of sessions that just have we have nothing for there is one at sound recorders um, which the artist this time was the Beach Boys and the employer was Capitol Records and this was another tone session with a different master number. And the, the Beach Boys were there for this one. It was apparently, it was apparently a, a vocal session. There was five of them. I don't know which five. I don't know if that means no Brian or no Bruce or no Dennis or whatever. And then after that, there was another session at Weston, again for the Beach Boys and Capitol Records. Um, and this one had Carol Kay, Bill Pittman, and Lyle Ritz, so three guitarists or bassists or whatever you'd expect would be kind of overdubs. And then there was another one, this was the one where the tune X title comes from on January 31st, which had a load of musicians again. This was Billy Hinchy, Bill Pittman, Lyle Ritz, Carol Kay, uh, Hal Blaine, Jim Gordon, and Gene Estes, so a few percussionists there. And then one more session, which is even more confusing, right in the middle of all the vegetable stuff. This is at Western, and the title is uh, Tones Part 3, when there's been no mention of a Part 1 or Part 2, whatever, and this one was Bill Pittman... Lyra, it's Ron Benson, who was a guitarist or ukulele player or, you know, Jim Gordon and Frank Cap, And, um, yeah, all of these are just gone. So, so yeah, the, this is a weird time because, um, as you know, like, Heroes and Villains was meant to be the next single, but um, Brian pretty much put that on the back burner and started working with Jasper Daly. So you got Carl and uh, Dennis kind of doing their own thing. The Beach Boys go on tour. Um, Brian buys a new house. And Van Dyke starts recording Donovan's Colors under the name George Washington Brown. Um, so this is really sort of smile coming to a stop at, at, at this point. There's a month off or so from Brian being in the studio. Yeah, and the main thing that was happening in March 67 was the the lawsuit with Capitol Records. I don't know much about it, but I think that's what was distracting him through most of that month. Yeah. Who knows what Brian was going through mentally. Um, but 
Yeah, he, I think he and Marilyn were trying to start fresh at this new place, and um, soon after that would would install a home studio. The Beach Boys sued Capitol for two hundred twenty-five thousand uh, dollars for back royalties. I mean, what else was going on during this time for Brian? I mean, like uh, he wasn't really hanging out with Van Dyke anymore. It was clear to me. I think probably before anyone else that Brian was headed for a, a, a an emotional collapse. Was this when like David Enderley gave him the painting and he freaked out? Yeah, I think I think it's about then. When he saw the painting I did of him the first time, he immediately got into counting certain dots and things that I had in the painting, and he was getting some sort of numerological reading from that, of which, of course, I was totally unaware of when I was doing it. From that point on, from the time he saw the painting on, my relationship with him was starting to change. I felt to change. And this is also about when Michael Vossi left as well. Right. And all of Brian's other sort of new friends trailed off, you know, like Jules Siegel. He was banned from the studio because Brian accused his girlfriend of being a witch. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. All that stuff was happening about then. And yeah. Van Dyke at this point is fully just putting himself into a solo career. Song Cycle was still quite a way away, probably. Mm-hmm. So at this point he was doing Donovan's Colors, which was kind of a pitch to get a solo album greenlighted. It was quite a while before the other stuff. Um, so Van Dyke is going off and doing that at Sound Recorder Studio, which is a new studio in LA that is run by Armin Steiner. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Brian um, started recording there in April after Van Dyke was doing that, and then Carl was also doing tones there. I think it's just Brian was having trouble booking studio time, so he just you know followed what they were doing and booked this new studio, and that's kind of what became sort of his headquarters for about two weeks. Armin Steiner's Sound Recorders, not to be confused with Sunset Sound Recorders, was one of the first facilities in L.A. away from the more clinical atmosphere of CBS to have an operational 8-track machine in early 1967. Another notable presence at Sound Recorders was the second engineer, Eric Wangberg, who would later be dubbed the Norwegian by Paul McCartney while mixing his Ram album in 1971, but more on Paul later. These sessions also saw a temporary lineup change within the group, Bruce selected to take an extended hiatus from recording with the band until things got a little less weird. Bruce wouldn't appear as a full-time studio member of the Beach Boys until September, limiting his involvement to his time on the road and press relations. I think Bruce one time mentioned that it was all the drug use that was a little bit too much for him. That's the drugs thing is what Bruce has said. Bruce came in for one thing here and then he also did She's Gone Bold. During Smiley Spell, and that was it. That's all. That's the that's the only Brucey gap between like February and um, September. They began with what was now considered a B side, a third version of Wonderful, now in the key of A. Brian laid down a basic piano track to which the group would overdub a chorale style vocal arrangement. It is very beautiful. This version was never completed. It's a really good version. It's, it's really, yeah, it's, it's really good. good. Again. It's pretty awesome yeah. that they came back to kind of this, you know, more serious style. I really wish they had finished it. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. 
nothing beats the original, you know. But this is a right. close second. Um, yeah, I, I really love this. Finished yeah, it. there, really there the vocal is. arrangement's great and it sounds awesome. Yeah, there's some days when I'd I'd say I almost prefer this. Uh, I like it in the lower key, and like you said, those vocals are so great. Um, it's sad that they never recorded a lead. I think it's this is another one though where Brian. I don't think Brian would have sung this. I think he would have probably given this to Carl. No, yeah, because the last one was Carl, and then the one after this was Carl. So I think he was done yeah, singing yeah. wonderful. Which is a shame because I don't think it w- I would have liked it as much if Carl sang it. But you know, it's yeah, it's it's sad that this one didn't get a vocal because it's definitely like a close, almost as good as the original. Next was a mysterious child is father of the man fragment. It was probably intended as a bridge for this new version of Wonderful. It's essentially a remake of the scrapped Good Vibrations bridge. The group singing over this without Dennis, but with Bruce. The only time he makes an appearance on any of these sessions. Yeah, so this is just kind of a two-chord vamp, but it's not the same chords or anything as Child is Father of the Man. It's just the vocal arrangement that's sort of borrowed and very much changed. But the way he recorded Wonderful, which is just the first um, half of the song, and then he stopped, um, we think that this kind of would have gone in the middle. I mean, it's what else would it be? You know, it's only one section. It's in the right key for it. Um, used to do a little intro on the 2011 one, which I, I do like, but this is... Um, I don't think this would have been for anything other than Wonderful, you know. On the compilation reel, there's a label next to this that says Don't Use. So I think Brian recorded it and then just decided um, he was just, you know, he wasn't going to put it in the song. Um, yeah. That's why we yeah, didn't it's, it's really include nice. it in the, in the Child is Father of the Man episode, because it really is is not that song. It's just... Mm-hmm. him using that um idea and putting it in another song which he did you know later with first little bird and then with surfs up in 71 yeah and the vocal arrangement has a few ideas like um brian's part in this is in the middle he's not singing the high part kind of became carl's part in the 1971 end of surfs up kind of it's got a similar thing there and yeah and um, that high part is is mimicking the trumpet in Child is Father of yeah. the Man. I couldn't believe I didn't notice that until you pointed it out. And um, what Bruce does, where he goes kind of, whoa, child, that's in the 1971 version as well. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I think was interesting about this is the you know the whole idea that these songs were always kind of linked, the Americana stuff and the Cycle of Life stuff, which I don't think it was, I don't buy into that it was ever a strict thing, but it's also, it does lend some validity to the idea that Brian was thinking of these songs in groups, just the fact that he put Charles Father of the Man in Wonderful and in Surf's Up at different times when he was recycling the idea. You know, mm. evidently Brian recognized that the lyrical theme and musically they kind of just fit together in a way. One, two, one, two, three. 
All right, well, let's get into the meat of this stint at Sound Recorders. <laughs> no pun intended, of course. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, vegetables. Now no longer hyphenated, just simply vegetables. Uh, saw a, a, an overhaul since we heard it last. Um, in addition to incorporating the do a lot chant as a chorus, the uh, cornucopia lyrics were scrapped. Like became love, and Van Dyke penned a couple of new verses about carting off vegetables to sell at the market, hence the cart-off, cartoffle pun, eating a candy bar wrapper, writing a letter to tell the Beach Boys about your favorite vegetable. Uh, we don't know if Van Dyke wrote new lyrics here, or they were old lyrics, um, because he was kind of out of the picture at this point, um, working on getting a solo record deal at Warner Brothers, but um, from what we know and what we can tell from anecdotal evidence, he was around at a couple of these sessions. And uh, they started on April 4th with Brian hammering out a piano track that the rest of the track would be built upon. And it's basically indistinguishable from the previous version, but it does divert into the Sleep A Lot chorus. Brian went on to experiment with swapping out parts and uh, adding sections and, you know, kind of looking for the next follow-up big hit to Good Vibrations, something that would um, stand up to the grandiose nature of that track. If you brought up Yeah, so between April 4th and April 14th, this is just a stretch of about 10, 11 days, Brian went pretty much non-stop on just booked a, lo- a big block of studio time and set aside that pretty much every day. He took April 8th and 9th off, but other than that, it was just non-stop vegetables every single day, and it started off very simple with just first burst chorus, first chorus, and then fades out. And then it grew to something extremely complicated and elaborate in, in the telling, kind of. The thing I've found really cool about this is how Brian takes the same sort of basic musical material of vegetables it's just two chord vamping and makes each verse feel completely different from each other you know verse one he's got kind of this cacophony of kitchen sound effects i guess um you know all this all these percussion sounds and then verse two you get bass and really elaborate backing vocals and then verse three you get a completely different flavor of elaborate backing vocals over sort of mouth mouth percussion noises they're all like making little popping noises and stuff like that and it's just, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really, really cool that, um, what he does with vocals here and all these sound effects. They just make the same really basic musical material feel so different stage by stage. It's really kind of episodic. On the air, Firestone. I'm gonna be round my vegetables. I'm gonna chow down my vegetables. I love you most of all. It's all of the Beach Boys, I think maybe without Dennis, 
and the sound effects here because we counted because we like that there is a snare drum there is a break drum the sort of mini anvil sound that he used quite a lot a conga somebody's playing the spoons somebody's stomping the feet somebody's wobbling some sheet metal like rolf harris um and there's also a jaw harp in there as well so there's a, and this is all done at the same time by just different beach boys and mike is the one that goes on the air right before at the start so he was doing something as well and in the second verse this this amazingly sort of elaborate set of backing vocals where there's, there's like a group part and then there's kind of the laughing from the first version but stripped down to two parts and it's much tighter so on one side you've got mike doing a sort of la 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 thing carl is harmonizing on top of him and then brian brian is doing a scat part in the middle somewhere and then he also harmonizes with himself on one channel and then al and dennis are doing this sort of just ah harmonies in the background and then on the other side you've got Brian and Al doing that two-part laughing thing, which is even harder to pull off than the first one because they're doing it so like in sync with each other. Um, so at the end of this, you end up with eight different background vocal parts, which is yeah, it's it's one of the most complicated vocal arrangements he did through any of these pieces of music. And then beyond that, there's also Brian does this little sort of do 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 at the end of each verse. And then in the third verse as well, this is uh, the thing that I said, that he changes it up completely. You get a completely new vocal arrangement, which briefly shows up in the smiley version. And yeah, and this, what, this one, it's Brian, Alan, Dennis are all doing these different melodies. And then Carl, have this, Carl has this high part that he kind of responds with. And there's just so many, so many vocal bars going on here. It's just, it's like a playground for different Brian just experimenting with different tones and different melodies and different ideas on these same two chords he's like ringing as much out of two chords as you could possibly get here's Armin Steiner himself one experience that was a little bit wacky was Brian Wilson who was a lovely man and I had always great respect for him because he's such wonderful ears, such a wonderful understanding of vocals, of what you could do with the human voice. And he came in one day and he said, Armin, I have a very unique project. I want to uh, do the Song of the Vegetables. But he says, I want to make it very authentic. So I knew something was coming here that, that would be a little extraordinary. He says, we're going to go down to the Central Market downtown and we're going to take a truckload full of vegetables and we're going to bring them and chop them up in little pieces and we're going to put them all in the studio like this and then we're going to slosh in them and we're going to record this and, and do the vocals. So I said, well, how are we going to deal with this? He says, don't worry, I'm not going to ruin your studio. So what we did is we got huge plastic and we lined the floor and, and brought it up the walls like this. And they went down to Central Market and they got tons of vegetables and fruits and all this sort of thing and cut them up and threw them all on the floor. It was the biggest god-awful mess I have ever seen in all my life. They stripped to the waist like this and sloshed all over and did that song like this under those circumstances. And then also at this point, he has two choruses, which are part of the main track. It's not modular, he's recorded it as an entire song with him on piano. They have like these really scrappy attempts to sing in the chorus vocals, but Brian evidently wasn't happy about that for some reason. So on April 7th, he went back to Columbia, which is the last session that the Beach Boys ever did at Columbia, to try re-recording the chorus. It sounds exactly the same, and he didn't finish it as well, so I don't... Yeah, I don't get what was happening there. I, I was going to say, I love how you can hear them on the Smile Sessions, um, 
arguing about all sitting around the piano. Don't don't change very much because it's uh, really bought there. Thing so is, group will get over here. Like wait a minute. Man. No, wait a second. We'll just move. You change places situation. with Dennis. Sit over on this side. No, come on, Brian. Wow, sit right over there. I can't play the piano down here. Sleep a lot, eat a lot, brush them like crazy. Run a lot, do a lot, never be lazy. Sleep a lot, eat a lot. That brings us to April 10th, and one of the most talked about and controversial days in the sessions for Smile. Here's Beach Boys publicist Derek Taylor. Well, where are we vis-a-vis the Beach Boys? What I am really doing is stalling, because I cannot find a facile way to tell you that the most famous single not to have been recorded is not yet recorded. In other words, and to make the longest record ever, made very short a tale. Heroes and Villains is not going to be a single. It is, however, going to make history as one of the ones that got away. The talk now is that it will be an album track on Smile, the also famous album, also not yet complete. Please understand that the Beach Boys delayed with product are the result of painful self-criticism. The mirrors into which Brian Wilson looks for reassurance are not always kind. Sometimes there is no reflection at all. His view is that Heroes and Villains at present is tormented with over-elaboration and a score of second thoughts, cruelly clipped from his bump of caution. It was ever thus with great men. The title of the new single, Vegetables, is a light and lyrical day-to-day green grocery song on which Al Jardine sings a most vigorous lead. The other side is Wonderful, which I only heard improvised at the piano with the boys humming the theme for Paul. Here's how Marilyn remembers Paul's visit to the studio that day. I remember on that song, when they were doing the vocals on it, Paul McCartney had come in town that day and Brian had met him before and I guess Paul, you know, wanted to meet with Brian and the guys again. And so he came over to the studio there and I don't know who got all the vegetables, but Brian wanted carrots and celery. And they, when they were doing that, they were actually chomping on vegetables. And Paul came in the studio and... <laughs> He didn't know what was happening, and Brian's sitting there, you know, at the board, mixing down certain vocals, and he's taking the celery stick, and he takes this big thing of salt and just, like, throws it on the table there, you know, here in the middle of the studio, and starts taking the celery stick like this, and Paul looks at him, like, you know, ooh, what is happening? And all of a sudden, he picks up a celery stick and does the same thing. <laughs> it was really funny. But uh, Brian was really into vegetables then. Here's Al Jardine. The night before a big tour, I was out in the studio recording the vocal, when, to my surprise, Paul McCartney walked in and joined Brian at the console, and briefly, the two most influential musical Geminis in the world had a chance to work together. I remember waiting for long periods of time between takes to get the next section or verse. Brian lost track of the session. Paul would come on the talk back and say something like, good take, Al. I think I first met him in 1967 and uh, at a studio in Hollywood, and he had on a complete beautiful white suit, white like casual suit, not like a dress suit, but, and his shoes were patent leather red, 
And he walked in with Derek Taylor, who was their uh, press agent at that time. And he walks in and he goes, hello, Brian. Oh, oh Paul, how are you? I, I was so scared, you know. So he goes, after about 20 minutes of, of watching this recording, and we, we took a break, and he goes, come on out here, I'm going to play you a song, you know. So, he, so we walked out in the studio, me and my wife Marilyn and, and Paul McCartney walked out to a piano, and he did uh, Friday morning and six o'clock as the day begins. And my wife was crying, of course. She got tears, and I said, oh, I love that tune. Play it again, so we played it again. We had him play it three times, you know? And we were all just blown out. I mean, no, none of us could believe it. It was just such a beautiful tune, you know? Well, he's, he was born two days before me on the same year, two days. So we, uh, we go back a long ways, uh, you know, with that. But I think more than that is the fact that he, he's the kind of guy who I think would be my friend, and I think at the same time he would probably feel competitive with me, you know? So it's sort of a balance, you know, between that competitive and that friend friendliness thing, you know? I don't know, there might have been substances involved, it might have happened, I don't know. Um, I don't remember it all, I must say, particularly some of those dark nights in LA. Um, you know, you just sometimes you fall out of a car into a, a room, it would be very dark, and I'm not sure if I remember it. I did visit a couple of those sessions, but I don't remember eating vegetables. I'm sure I might have. So let's try and separate fact from fiction here. We do know that Paul McCartney was present on April 10th for the session, but we don't really know whether he was recorded chomping on celery or if he was producing the track, as Al suggested. What can we discern from all the available evidence? Well, okay, so for fact, we can say Paul was there. It was certainly April 10th. Um, the question is whether or not he played the celery on the recording. His voice can't be heard on any of the tapes, and he was definitely in the booth with Brian for a good good part of that because um, both of them remember that, both Brian and Al remembered. You know, Paul sitting there giving feedback over the mic, but okay, there's a couple different parts here, different vegetable parts, if you can call them that. Um, one of them sounds like just just Mike, or maybe Mike and one other person. One of them, yeah, because uh, he's making a lot of mouth noises, and you can t- you can tell it's his voice. One of them is definitely yeah. One of them is definitely the Beach Boys, and it's definitely Mike, and I think Al, and all of them. Everyone else is around the microphone, but it's not Paul McCartney. This is in the third verse, but in the first verse, there is no voice. He he could have he could have been there, but either his voice is inaudible or it was you know replaced with some other different overdub. But I kind of don't think he did because I feel like more people would specifically bring up you know if all the Beach Boys were together around a microphone with Paul McCartney. Yeah, in my um, professional vegetable analysis opinion, I don't think so. But there, it's I'm not gonna say it's impossible as well. And at some point, at some point down the line, this tail twisted into Paul is the one crunching the salary on the record. And it, it's at some point that story kind of changed. And when Paul was asked about this in like the 90s, the early 2000s, Paul said that he didn't remember. But then 
after that, that changed again in this early 2000s US tour. There was this radio show question, and uh, the question was, on which song, which Beach Boys song is Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney crunching vegetables? And Paul called up himself to say um, it was it was vegetables, I think. And they actually did, they did a staged recreation of this for a DVD extra, um, where he calls up and says that he, it's it's vegetables that he's doing it on. So I think Paul's kind of been talked into this over the years to remembering it because he said that he didn't remember it, and then all of a sudden there's this Q and A on his website in the modern day where he talks very specifically about Brian asking him to do something and then going up to the mic and crunching celery. And I don't think it's true at all. I think he's making it up because he's been told the story so many times. Um, and he personally didn't remember it. It's another one of these, another one of these, you know, jukebox Beatles stories um, that he spits out. You know, it's become another one of those. So I don't think it's Paul, but we can never know for sure, basically. Yeah, so basically it's it's certain that he was there and that he crunched celery, but we don't know if he did it in front of a microphone. Well, there you have it, guys. Um, I wish I had a better conclusion for our listeners, but I think we can file this under Beach Boys Unsolved Mysteries. Probably on the next day, Brian, Dennis, and Carl laid down a track for the first chorus with Brian on the electric harpsichord, Dennis on the vibraphone, and Carl on bass. In the initial track, the way they recorded it, it's, the whole thing was just done verse, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Um, but the choruses weren't really overdubbed very much um, and were kind of recorded a little sloppily. So now he's gone and recorded separate arrangements that he's going to later edit in. And the vocals here are all five double tracked and then Mike tripled his low part. On the second chorus, it's a slightly different arrangement. Dennis is now playing some sort of a ratchet, and um, the vocals are particularly interesting here, more of the chanting style that Brian has been experimenting with. You know, the way, the way Brian originally put the song down, it was just a chorus, and then the second chorus would be a long one that fades out. And it's kind of like he was going to do... Um, this is just a replacement, like he would have cut out part of it to replace the first chorus, and then throwing the whole thing on the end as a long fade. But he did two versions of it, so... I don't know if he wanted to choose between one or the other, but they were apparently labelled on the tape box chorus one and second chorus, so that implies that we're going to be both in the same song. Yeah, and that's pretty cool because usually with, with these smile songs, you have um, 
the chorus usually repeating and being the exact same thing, usually the same exact recording. Um, so this would have made the song more dynamic, I guess. Yeah, it's just it's just really odd that he recorded both of these things like fade outs, and maybe to just give himself more options. Like he wasn't sure what to do yet. But this is the first time where he's. I should also mention that um, when Al did his lead vocals, he didn't do three verses. He'd written three verses of, of vocals, but he didn't do it straight like you'd expect. On the second verse, he recorded two different sets of lyrics. So that second verse would be cut out and turned into a like fourth verse somewhere. And the third verse was kind of just a scat one with no words until the ending. So or, so Brian's already done something to extend the song in a in a strange way. Um, and then these two choruses are where he's properly cutting things up and now he's really changing the structure around from that simple foundation that he started with. So the next day, Brian relocated to Gold Star for the first time since those November fire sessions to track an elaborate new fade section for vegetables. Although essentially the same two chord vamp as most of the rest of the song, some piano in early takes revealed that Brian was thinking of it as an adaptation of one of the heroes and villains part two chant motifs. The third in the sequence built on a major key variation of the bicycle rider theme. The signature piano foundation that gave it away was dropped as Brian worked up the arrangement, but several vocal ideas remained. Yeah, this is a pretty big session um, with a lot of musicians. We have a big six-piece string section. And it's kind of the first time he's done this in quite a while. In addition to the string section and Brian's off-mic tack piano, Nick Palico is playing a vibraphone counter melody, a rhythm section consisting of Lyle Ritz on bowed string bass, Ray Pullman on the Fender bass, and Bill Pittman on the Fuzz Dan Electro, each playing a different line, while Jim Gordon shakes a kibasa. Eventually the pieces were moved around, Jim Gordon to kibasa as well as drums, and finally to kibasa and cups, while Brian moved from tack piano, back to the booth, and then to castanet. Bill Pittman moved to strumming chords without the fuzz on his Dan Electro before eventually switching to the ukulele. I guess at some point here, Brian's changed his mind um, where he had before just the chorus fading out. Now he wants some proper, unique section of music. And this is probably like one of my favorite pieces of smile just in general i love this yeah part. definitely it's so good um and it's yeah it's it's i think it's one of my favorite sessions to listen to as well because of how different the first takes are to the final one it's kind of the same instrumentation kind of with a few changes but he just takes these things and completely rearranges the end of something that's like unrecognizable by the final take and vocally this is pretty much just the same as one of those heroes and villains part two chants 
Um, but those all had very sparse um, instrumental arrangements. And now this is basically that done properly with a big group of studio musicians and it sounds awesome. They took this over to 8-track at Sam Recorders the same night. And uh, yeah, so it's Brian doing the lead vocal and then Carl is on the high part, interestingly, and Mike does the low part. And they triple tracked it, but then kind of went back and punched in a few different different things to replace one of the one of the layers of vocals. So if, I don't know if you listen to the backing vocal montage on the Smile Sessions, but it gets weird at one point, and that's because the third layer of vocals is coming back in from when they stopped recording over it. Um, and what they did there was these few little kind of blasts of harmony stuff. Al's in that one as well, it's four parts. And someone, either Brian or Carl, is up to the mic with some like garden clippers or shears for this little percussion sound, which is pretty cool, because it's a vegetable song, you know? And then at some point as well, Brian added this high vocal part and Carl added like an extra little, either Carl or Al played an extra little ukulele line at the start. So it's pretty, pretty elaborate and it goes on for a long time as well. The official mix fades out pretty fast, but Brian mixed this down in mono and the whole thing's like a minute and a half long. Next up was a little vocal insert um, a little jingle type thing that reminds me of Mission Pack. Never thought of that. It is. One, two, a one, two, three. <laughs> the touring group left for a tour, and Brian continued working on vegetables. And I think this is about where Marilyn added her part. Is that right? Yeah, you tried out, you experimented with this strange little. Um, Marilyn sing, singing a cappella, the last verse that I think it was going to like edit into Al singing it halfway through. Uh, just a weird little experiment that didn't get finished. One, two, one, two, three, four. I know that you'll feel better when Not you. Fast Wasn't fast enough? Uh, take two. One, two, one, two, three. Uh, it doesn't really work any way you try to put it into the song, but. Cool to have, I guess. Yeah, and then quite quickly he changed his mind and did this ballad insert thing, which is the famous, well, Brian called it the Stephen Foster section, just like he called the Good Vibrations, mm -hmm. the Slow Bridge, the Stephen Foster thing there. So that's what it, where his mind was at here. Yeah, it's all Brian, and it sounds awesome. Reminds me a lot of the sort of acapella section in Heroes and Villains. You know, he's borrowing a ton of ideas from all of those sessions as well. Now left with all these pretty much finished sections of vegetables. Um, started off with just verses and choruses, and now he has this big fade out, that little piano insert, and now this ballad insert. Um, I think it really could have made for a great, great song um, and a great single. I think 
despite the strangeness of all the lyrics, I think it, it could have done well for them, honestly. But Yeah, prob- possibly more than Heroes and Villains. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's more understandable for sure. Um, despite the Van Dyke Park's weirdness. <laughs> but um, for whatever reason, he... He finished mixing down a lot of these sections, but he just, he never put an edit together. So there's plenty of bootlegs out there that say something like Vegetables 1967 edit, but none of that is actually from the from the era, and Brian never put this whole thing together as a song. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, you've got like 10 days of exhausted, you know, exhausted vegetables, and there's all these sections, and it's everything you could conceivably need to put a song together. And he does mix down some of them, but he never finishes the song, even though he's got it like that. But it's it's a really, it's a really strange kind of sad ending where he just yeah, he basically finished recording it and then just never put it together for reasons only known to Brian. Well, fortunately, we do have the mix that was compiled for the 2011 box set by Alan Boyd. Yeah, I, th- I think he put it together in like Final Cut Pro, uh, the video edit and so far. And the mix that him and Mark Lynette made, I think, is kind of definitive. I don't I don't think it's how Brian would have done it back in the 60s. I think that insert section would have probably gone into the, the slow part, like in the Smiley version, but it's the best. What they did, I think, is like the crown sort of jewel of the smile box sets. I, I think it's a perfect realization of what that song could have been. I'm gonna be round my vegetables I'm gonna chop down my vegetables I love you most of all My favorite vegetable If you brought a big brown bag of them home I'd jump up and down and hope it tossed me a carrot I'm gonna keep well my vegetables card off and sell my vegetables I love you most of all my favorite vegetable I tried to kick the ball but my tanny flew right off I'm red as a beat cause I'm so Yeah. 
There's a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, just, you know, along with all the other uh, the lawsuit and all that, um, Brian was appointed to be on the board of the Monterey Pop Festival around this time. That was going to happen in June, and the band would later back out, citing Carl's draft trial and um, pressure to release a new 45. Um on uh, April 25th, the Inside Pop Rock Revolution special aired, which featured Brian doing uh, Surf's Up at home. And then on uh, the 29th, Brian told uh, NME that all 12 of the tracks for the new album are completed, which is interesting <laughs> because it's not true. Because <laughs> it's and not, not true. true. <laughs> um, on the second, the band went back on tour in Europe. And then on the 6th, Derek Taylor told Disc and Music Echo that the album was scrapped and the tapes had been destroyed by Wilson. And he wrote, What then? I don't know. The Beach Boys don't know. Brian Wilson, God grant him peace of mind. He doesn't know. Well, on Vegetables, real yeah. quick, you got to think that um, the rest of the guys were expecting to come home to a new finished single. Yeah. Because... Um, I mean, Brian probably told them, like, all right, guys, good luck on tour. I'll get this thing done myself. And, you know, Wonderful was almost complete except for a lead. And I guess Brian could have done that. But then <laughs> I don't know what he must have told them when they got back. Just never finished it. It could have easily been finished and put out as a single, and I think it would have done okay. And this really is the the, the end of Smile as a... The dream is the dream is dead when he doesn't finish vegetables. I got tired of it. I just got tired of the direction we were going in. You know, I didn't like it. So there is the famous Cabin Essence argument, where Van Dyke says that Mike called him up to the studio about a lyric, and then they have that sort of confrontation, and then at that point Van Dyke sort of officially walked away from the thing and terminated it. And the theory for a long time has been that this happened in December 1966 when. They were recording vocals for Cabin Essence, but um, thanks to um, some more recent kind of research, or I don't know if it's I don't know if it's new or not, but Van Dyke was asked by someone, "Were you still around when he was doing vegetables in 
April and Van Dyke said yes without elaborating. Um, and this is when, so this, this is when Van Dyke kind of finally walked away for the last time. So I think it could be that the whole Cabin Essence argument with Mike happened at one of these days, maybe. Um, but they, were, they weren't recording the song, but you kind of get the impression at this point that Brian is trying to get Smile back on track in a way. He's doing a new single. It's a burst of creativity and productivity before they go on tour. And it's kind of like sort of do or die. Like It's sort of a reboot of Smile. They've moved to a new house. It's new things. But there is a sense that it could maybe get back to what it should have been. And something that happened at this point, and I think it maybe could have been that sort of confrontation, mm-hmm. that famous argument, that sort of finally fully dissolved Brian and Van Dyke's relationship, which had been very drifted apart for a long time and they weren't actively collaborating anymore, but this finally sealed the deal. And then at some point after that, Brian kept working, you know, he said, well, more <laughs> focus on vegetables, don't think about anything. The, the others go on tour, Brian tries to finish it himself. And then at that point, he kind of just takes stock of everything and goes, I can't finish this and I'm not happy about doing this album anymore. And these songs that I've had so much sort of controversy over, mostly from Brian himself, sort of self-criticizing is um, if it's the right direction to go and surfs up Cavern Essence, um, Do You Like Worms, all that sort of heavy Van Dyke Park stuff. It's at some point here that he decides that that's not going to be on the album and gives the message over to Derek Taylor that Smile is scrapped because of um, what Smile scrap, Smile being scrapped means that he's not going to do those songs on the album anymore and he's going to do new material instead. Um, and yeah, it's a really str- it's a really strange ending without a, a definitive point where it stopped, but this is the month where, yeah, if March was kind of on the rocks, it's kind of like April was, there was some hope that it could get back on track and then something happened that made it just stop again and then for the final time, kind of. Some of the fans like that kind of stuff from the, the smile, and the, but see, I associate it too directly. I'm too subjective about it. At one time, in the early to mid-60s, Brian was very dynamic, resourceful, creative, disciplined in the studio. He was now shattered, afraid, paranoid. It, it took me a long time to, to come down off Smile when we were working on it, because we were taking drugs, for one thing, right? And we were taking uh, drugs and drugs. So there's this little purgatory period here where we aren't really making Smile anymore, but we are not quite... On Smiley Smile, um, Brian hasn't finished his home studio yet, but there are some new pieces being recorded. So that's what we're going to talk about next time, as well as a few odds and ends that we need to fill in the gaps with. But yeah, we're here at the very end of Smile. Wow, we've been doing this forever. Uh, It's been almost a year. (laughs) It's almost over. (laughs) Uh, And then we'll move on to Smiley Smile. But... um, before we go, I want to ask you guys a couple questions. Uh, number one, what is your favorite vegetable? Well, okay. I want to say potato <laughs> because... <laughs> hey, I'm taking this seriously. Because think about it. You know, they, they're versatile. They can do a lot of things. Potato's a great answer. I'm going to say the 45 single that came with the box set. Nice. Yeah, that's a good... That's a nice vegetable. I think if they released this as a single and it was a big hit, they would have gotten so many letters about vegetables. (laughs) Well, if you guys want to write in and tell us your favorite vegetable, 
That is sailonpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll take a survey and let you know. Um, yeah, so hope everybody has a good Christmas. What's your guys' favorite Beach Boys Christmas song? Little St. Nick. Oof. <laughs> Cannot um, be topped. Santa's got an airplane. Nice. <laughs> um, it's not, but well. I thought I'd say that. <laughs> Santa's going to Kokomo. No. Oh, Jesus. Um. Anyway, mine is probably um, Little St. Nick as well. It is hard to top that. Yeah. I want to have something cooler to talk about. I want to say that Winter Symphony there's a is lot. Cool. Yeah, Winter Symphony is great. There's so many good choices. Anyway, we did a Christmas episode way back in 2017, three years ago. We played a bunch of those songs. Go check that out. We also reviewed the Beach Boys Christmas album in 2018 in the summer, of course. Um, but that's how it that's how it worked out. I didn't plan that. That's when it was recorded. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then uh, I just did like a Christmas radio show on the Patreon page. So check that out too. And um, eventually we'll get to the um, Beach Boys 70s Christmas album. And, I wish um, we could just do that instead of more smile. <laughs> I do too, trust me. Um, but yeah, all in good time. And hopefully that will line up with Christmas. Maybe I'll try and work that out somehow. But probably in a couple of years. Anyways. I will talk to you guys later. Thank you so much, as always. All right. See ya. Yeah. Hi, this is Phil Gotti, and you're listening to Breakfast with the Beatles and Chris Carter. We are back. 97.1 KLSX Breakfast with the Beatles. So we have Paul from Los Angeles on a cell phone who knows the answer to this week's quiz question. The question... Hi, Chris. Hey, Paul, how are you? How are you doing? Not too bad. Yeah, I've got the answer. You got the answer to this week's quiz? Yeah, the answer is vegetables, isn't it? That is correct. Vegetables. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening, spending part of your day with me. We are almost done with Smile, but of course, lots of great stuff on the horizon. I'm hoping that in the next couple weeks, we will have a new digital Beach Boys release. So look forward to that. And then, uh, who knows, next year we might get this Feel Flows box after all. But for the time being, hope you guys have a wonderful Christmas. If you celebrate it and have a great new year, we will be back with you in January. And for those of you that are patrons of the show, Surf and Earth is on the way. And uh, please go check out our Discord. I'm trying to get that going. It's a really fun service. Link in the show notes. Hope everyone's staying safe. I'm looking forward to getting back out on the road with the Sail On Tribute Band. Fingers crossed. Everything goes well. And uh, we'll be hanging out and having an adult beverage soon. But I love you guys. Sail on, sailors.
fucking cool. Will, what is your favorite vegetable, though? For real? It's, I don't know. I don't. I can't really think of an answer off the top of How do you head. not know? I don't. He doesn't eat vegetables. I don't know. How do you listen to this song without thinking about it? <laughs> I just think about the song Vegetables when I think listen to the song Vegetables. <laughs> no. 